Hey, Sass and Cyrus, I welcome you to this episode of our show. Today, I'm speaking to Michael Wenning. He's the founder of WEN, the platform for human resources and recruiters. Today, the episode is special because he's sharing with me and with you how he got funding for his minimum viable product, hired a team, made mistakes, learned from them, and now he's working towards product market fit. And he's sharing all of those in this episode. Just check out this quick, short segment from our show. It's not practical as a startup to have eight developers, your whole team on every single call. That's eight billable hours every call for a designer, front end, back end, PM, QA. Why is QA here? We haven't even written any code yet, right? And this is just 15 seconds of the show. Can you imagine how much value it is in there? Let's listen to this episode together. This episode is sponsored by the SaaS Insiders Studio. We help SaaS founders build their minimum viable products, MVPs, launch quickly, find a product market fit, and grow from there. SaaS Insider Studio works with non-technical founders that are on the pre-seed or seed stage to help them execute on their product vision. To learn more, go to my LinkedIn profile that you can find in the description to this episode and shoot me a direct message there. All right, let's jump straight into today's episode. Today, what may I have Michael Wang. He is the founder of WEN and he is on a mission to create a happier workforce. With that said, Michael, I welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me, Vlad. It's good to be here. For the audience joining us today, in, in one or two minutes, could you share your backstory, your background, where you're coming from and what, what's currently Michael is working on? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I became a recruiter through a roundabout way, I actually got put into a miserable job by a recruiter when I was younger. So I actually despised them for a while, but kind of fell in love with the idea of being able to help people for a living, you know, whether it was a promotion or a pay raise, I thought it'd be really cool to be able to do that. Um, you know, flip side of it, I'm not your normal recruiter because I've experienced firsthand how miserable a recruiter can make someone if they don't actually care about what you want to do. So. Uh, went out and started my own recruiting company back in 2017 with really just a focus on working with companies that have great cultures, treat their employees well, because I I believe in karma and I, I, I wanted to be able to sleep at night without feeling like I just screwed someone over. So started that in 2017, became certified in HR management, just thought it'd be, you know, give me some more tools to better serve my clients in these companies. And around 2018, you know, I had a gentleman who told me like, hey, Michael, you know, my, my kid's 22 years old, him and his buddies, they're always on Fortnite. They're not gonna go through job boards and look through hundreds of job descriptions to find a job they like. So is there a way we could simplify this thing? That was the catalyst for me. Um, and I've noticed throughout the years of recruiting, everyone complains about how hard it is to find a good job. Like it doesn't really matter how much experience you have, what industry you're in. It's really tough to find a good job. There's a lot of trial and error. Like the average person changes jobs 12 times in their career. You know, they spend five years of their life looking for a job. And I really think that's because no one's given people a tool yet that makes it easy for them to find the right job for them. So that's what we're working on. Awesome. Michael, one thing I wanted to touch on is, and for those who didn't check the when yet, 
one is a platform where companies can find the right talent for 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 their companies right yeah one aspect of this and we touched it a bit of the year is your client is actually the company right by serving the company to find the candidates this is the this is the entity who pays for the product but at the same time you have a pain of well we want to make the recruitment right with actually to serve people so yeah. what are your thoughts on like actually balancing basically serving your clients making the business successful but at the same time making people happy the ones who are actually searching for jobs yeah that's a good point you know so we are a platform you know we basically create a space where two different parties can come together and exchange value with one another and so you know i analogize what we're doing there was a first true agency in hollywood i mean back in the early 1900s all the power was in the hands of the studios and then one gentleman said you know what people don't go to movies to see studios they go to see actors so why don't we focus our efforts on helping actors and that's what i decided to do here because when you look at job boards you know monster indeed linkedin all of these were built for companies to find people like they've been optimized for that no one's yet optimized it the other way to make it really easy for a person to find the right company and so what we wanted to do and what i wanted to do is just give people a tool that allows them to plug in what they're looking for in the next opportunity whether it's the benefits the type of company you know the mission whatever they want to be a part of and then be presented with companies that fit that you know, as opposed to like currently, you have to look through 500 job descriptions in hopes that you find something that's relevant. And um, companies really need to hire the right people. But what I say to companies is, look, you don't want to appeal to everyone. You're not trying to hire everyone. You want to appeal to the right people. And the best way you can do that is by being yourself, giving these companies a profile that lets them say, hey, here's who we are. Here's what we're all about. And connecting them with people that share that vibe and like delivering true employee engagement by just focusing on making it easier for those people to find the right company. One, one interesting thing that you've mentioned is you want to almost innovate on the part of people actually looking for the right company for them. I'm curious, what's your thinking process when it comes to innovation, especially in the industry, which is not new? Right. There are a lot of platforms, just like you mentioned, for finding jobs, Indeed, Monster, and a whole bunch of other sources. How do you go about finding those points where you can innovate in industries that, that seem saturated? You know, I've been working on this for a few years now. So really talking to a lot of job seekers and companies, man. Like, um, so I'll kind of give you both sides of the equation here. Is number one, uh, yeah, I get asked a lot by companies is, hey, how can we compete with Apple and Google in the talent war? And my answer for the longest time was, well, you can't because they have brand awareness. You know, don't like the employer brand is the top channel used to recruit. If people know you're a good company to work for, they're going to apply for you. And the truth is, there's a lot of really great companies out there, small businesses, medium size that treat their employees well, have a killer culture. But they're just like job number 400 on a list of 500. And it's just a black and white job description. And so in talking to job seekers, especially passive job seekers, like a overwhelming majority of the workforce has said, you know what, I'm happy doing what I'm doing, but I would love to hear about an opportunity with a company that like I find interesting. No one's yet given them a tool to say, okay, define what's interesting to you, right? Whether it's company, whether it's benefit, what are you looking for in the next opportunity? But then there's so much trial and error that exists in the current system 
because of a lack of transparency for job seekers. Like, man, uh, not to date myself, I'm 36. Uh, you know, when I was a teenager, people used to take out advertisements in a newspaper and like looking for dates. And they say, yeah, everyone says, you know, I look like Brad Pitt and I'm hilarious. Like, let's meet for coffee. And then what happened? Like 10 million people showed up at a coffee shop and was like, that dude looks nothing like Brad Pitt, right? Like everyone got catfished. And so they said, you know what? There's got to be a better way to do this. Insert eHarmony, Tinder, all of these companies that decided to give more context to finding a partner. But for some reason in our professional relationship, what we spend majority of our adult life doing, we're still relying on a one-page job description to be like, all right, sounds great. And the truth is like, it's terrible. And so what I found when talking to a lot of job seekers is that it averaged out that for every job they're applying to, about 70% of their time is going to research the company. Say, all right, is this a place I even want to apply to? And so the problem is that all of our competitors, the job seeker on average goes through about four or five different sites to fully research an opportunity. So more than half of online applications take more than 30 minutes to complete, right? And so if you're currently working, you do not have time to go through all of this process, right? And there's a reason that the latest study from the Society of Human Resource Management said that 92% of job seekers never complete their online job application because life happens, right? Something comes up, they get a call, they got to pick the kids up from school, what have you. And so what I wanted to do for the job seeker was not only give them greater transparency into the company, but simplify the research process, aggregate everything right in front of them so that in a minute I can see who this company is, what they're all about, not just in their own words, because every company says we're a great place to work, but what does the market say? Like, what do consumers say about this company? Um, and then also just simplifying the apply process, you know, and um, feel like that was a pretty long-winded answer, but hopefully that, you know, kind of uh, gives you some, some idea on how it is we're really innovating for the individual. I, I really like how you go to the actual person and, and just basically seeing what they need at this stage. What, what are the problems, right? Going into the market and actually doing this research, not just wondering or talking to irrelevant people, talking to companies, for example, <laughs> because they know what they need, not what, what, what uh, the search, um, the applicants need. Yeah, man. And like, you know, what is a company besides an amalgamation of people, right? And mm. so really the goal of a company is to build something that transcends the mortality of man, like Ford, right? Should be around for hundreds of years. But for individuals like yourself and myself, our time on this earth is so finite. For me, it's so difficult to see someone. The average job search takes five months. Someone spends five months, they finally get a job. And within a month, they're like, man, if I had known it was going to be like this, I never would have taken this job. And the defeat now that they have, knowing they've got to do a whole nother five months of searching while they're at a miserable job, it depresses me, man. Like it really does. And so the, that was my focus on wanting to help give people more of their life back. And on the company side as well, it's like, look, I could bring you the best engineer in the world. But if you're an oil and gas company and they're passionate about climate change, all the engagement workshops in the world aren't going to make that employee want to work for you, right? So why don't we focus on just connecting you with the right people and helping people connect with the right company? Michael, can you share with me a bit more of your insight into when it comes to this balance of bootstrapping your startup, SaaS startup, and actually searching for funding? I know we talked a little bit of the year in terms of not all money is green. 
right? So yeah. when it comes to looking for, for a great investor for you, what, what's your take on it? How, how would you approach this? I know you are at the time where you soon will be seeking funding. So maybe you can talk about it as well. And what's, what's your take on picking really the right people to partner with you? You know, my old hockey coach used to always say that if we focus on the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. And so with the employees that I've hired and as I've gone about going through this, you know, my North Star has always been, let's help people. You know, like I, I had three really terrible bosses coming right out of college. And on the third one, I kind of made it my personal mission to prove that you can be successful in life without being shady, without stabbing people in the back, without being like a ruthless businessman, that you can be successful by being compassionate and helping people. And that is still my mission. And that's what I look for in the employees that I've hired is that understanding that by focusing on helping people, we can all do really well for ourselves. That's really important to me on the fundraising side as well, is it only takes you know one bad apple to spoil the whole dozen. And so I really want to make sure that when I'm meeting with investors and I do have my list of questions that I ask them and screen them and I get maybe a couple of eye rolls as to like, why is he asking me this? But the question isn't what's important. The answer is what's important. Like what you say to that question is what's telling me what I need to hear. And so I, I really want to find investors that, yes, we're all looking for ROI, but that want to help people while making a lot of money. That's, that's the priority for me. And when it comes to actually looking for people, do you want to look for someone who has a relevant experience in, in the industry that you're doing or it doesn't really matter to you? Like, like what's your take on this? If, for example, I'm a SaaS insider, I'm watching, I'm watching this episode and I want to learn a bit more from you, how would you look at like looking at the opportunities at investors to, to select the ones that, that really fit? Uh, you know, I try not to discriminate, but historically, I will say that when I talk to people who come from the HR space, or maybe they've hired a lot of people, there is this overwhelming, like, when they see the product that it's like, man, this is the way this should have been done. Like, why haven't we been doing it this way? And when I talk to, you know, investors who have, maybe it's been 20 or 30 years since they've looked for a job, right? They're so far removed from the equation that... Typically speaking, I met with man, like love your product. It looks great, but I don't know enough about this space to invest. That being said, like the master has failed more times than the beginner has tried. Right. And so if you don't understand the HR space, like, but you're an investor who wants to help people and wants your money to go to helping people and I'll sit and rap all day with you. You know, I can give you the lowdown on what's been going on in this space for years. So that doesn't, that's kind of a, a bit of a convoluted answer there, but hopefully it, it makes some sense. Got it. Okay. Okay. What do you think should be the mentality when you, when you approach partners like this, when you approach investors in terms of how long-term this game could be before you can find the right people? And I'll give you the example of a lot of times SaaS founders, they try to seek investment maybe for five people. So they meet five investors, they hear five no's you know, and uh, they're discouraged. They think of, well, maybe maybe my product is not good. How many people do you think you need to go through this process? Because I heard a lot that it might take up to 100 VCs, 100, you know, 100 pitches to, to actually get some results. What's your, what's your take on this? Yeah, I think the most recent 
study I read was that for every $500,000 you want to raise, you need to pitch a hundred people, like pitch a hundred people, which if you think about sales, like a funnel, the outreach is the most important part. I feel like I've seen some people take the wrong approach because really to get like, for me, I don't come from a lot of money. Like I don't know a ton of wealthy people. Right. And so I do a lot of cold emails, like a lot of cold messages. There's this feeling in the, you know, fundraising, the capital community that's like, all right, don't cold email me because either A, I'm going to think everyone else has said no, that's why you're reaching out to me, or B, I don't believe you can sell well enough because you should have gotten an intro to me and a warm introduction. And so I don't think that's either here nor there. You know, for me, I believe researching your investors that's where a lot of my work goes is okay have they invested in something similar what's their portfolio look like kind of coming to them with a bit more hey here is why i'm reaching out to you here is why you in particular is who i want to talk to you're going to get a lot of left on reds you're going to get a lot of no's but for every no you hear you're one step closer to hearing yes and so i think it's really important that you keep your funnel full always budget more time to fundraise like right now there's a vc that i'm talking to and it's like all right they're going into due diligence and sometimes it can be 30 days sometimes it can be 60 days sometimes they're just dragging their feet because they want to see if any other deals come up that interest them more and the best way you can continue getting towards fundraising is to keep filling that funnel so that you're not like that's what i did early on was i had like 10 investors i was like these 10 are perfect i got through there and they're all like all right let me know when you're further along and then i'm like Oh shit. Like, all right, I guess I got to go back to bootstrapping and like now I'm scrambling to recruit. And so I think the, the best advice is to a not get discouraged. Like I have heard so many times, man, this product looks great, but I don't know enough about this space or, Hey, I used up all my capital earlier this year, whatever. Don't take it personally. Don't get discouraged. I think that's, Probably the best advice I can give anyone actually is to just, if you believe in what you're doing, that's really what matters. And if you don't believe in what you're doing, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. And if you're doing this to get rich quick, shouldn't be an entrepreneur because there's, there's a lot of ups and downs. And the important thing is, do you believe in yourself and what you're doing? If so, keep your nose to the grindstone, keep sending messages, keep hearing no. I really like how you gave an analogy of a funnel, right? When you know your percentage, you, you just keep filling the pipeline. Because you know that on the basis, every, every no is closer to yet. And I really like the number you gave is for, for 100K invested on average, you should pitch 100 people. That gives you a reference, right? If you're looking for a million dollars to invest, you got to be ready. You got to meet exactly a right. lot of people, a lot of people. Yes, exactly, man. And get to it early because when the due diligence comes and they want to see how much money you have in your bank account, if you're if you're on fumes because you've been pitching now for six months, uh, you know you kind of lose some leverage there. So yep. yeah, awesome. From your experience building, when what do you think were the biggest learning experiences for you as a SaaS founder throughout this career? Maybe something in the processes, maybe something in the marketing, in fundraising. What are the things you would like to talk uh, to tell Michael if you were to travel back in time two years ago? Some things oh, to, wow. to, to keep you skip some of the problems. Some of the challenges. Um, first thing I would have said is find a team, a good team. You know, I, I pitched one in, when I started my recruiting company. I pitched one investor, got the investment. You know, I was selling a pretty tried and true business model. 
And when I came into the SaaS space, I was, I was a hockey goaltender. I always liked that the pressure was on me. The end of the day, if the puck went in, it was my fault, right? And I'll take responsibility for that. And I was so convinced that I could just do this myself. There were these steps along the way where I think you could take them as learning experiences, but I didn't know exactly what I was learning. And then at one point, you know, I found one, uh, you know, I, I read a lot, you know, you should always be trying to learn more, improve yourself. And I read this article that basically said the most important thing for investors is the team. Like they would rather invest in a C product and an A team than an A product and a C team. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that makes sense. And so I focused at first on finding people. And I think when you're young and you're starting out, you're so grateful, at least for me, I was so grateful that people believed in my product that I was just happy to have them on my team. If you bring in someone who's raised $400 million in funding and had five exits before, they don't want to roll up their sleeves, right? Like they, they want to lead a team of 50 people. And I'm like, dude, there's three of us here. Like, I, I don't know who's going to be doing this work. Like, this is why I brought you in here. Eventually, like, and I'm, I'm a pretty laid back guy. I'm not a taskmaster, but, uh, you know, you eventually get to a point where you're like, man, I need people who are willing to roll up their sleeves here and I need the right team, right? And so really that's what I would have been focused on years ago if I knew how important it was to have a good team around you. Now my team is awesome, you know, and really, really grateful that they're here. We're all working for just equity while we raise this money and so blessed there. So I would say focus on getting a good team around you, especially if it's your first venture. The saying is that two people who don't know what they're doing is never a good combination. So if you don't know what you're doing, find someone who does. And then y'all two partner up. I'm trying to think that would be the biggest one. If I had one other piece of advice to give myself, it would be add 30% to everything. One of the first, so when I was, I was pushing this forward and I was bootstrapping this and I got like a a prototype built, like a design prototype. And I was finally able to show people this idea that, cause in my head, I had like these crazy whiteboard drawings. And I was like, it's kind of like Tinder, but for jobs. And then as I like got a prototype built, they were like, oh, I get this now. Okay, I see it. Uh, one investor, this was like the first time I got capital, was that this guy who I had heard all of these, like, hey, love the deck, but this. And the final breaking point was this one guy was like, man, you know what? I love the deck. I love your product, but I prefer for my pitch decks to be written in the active voice, not the passive voice. And in my head, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's why you're saying no to this. Well, really, that was when I kind of found out, all right, like what I'm doing is so far off the beaten path that if these investors don't believe it, let me show them there's a good response from companies. Like, let me kind of, instead of finding investors, let me find some logos. So I found some logos, some pretty good logos uh, that like what we're doing, went back to just tell this guy, hey, here's what's going on. And he's like, all right, well, if you still want money, I'll, I'll invest in you. Oh, fantastic. Um, got him to put in 200K. The dev shop I was working with out of Warsaw, Poland, I uh, said, dude, we'll build your MVP for 180K. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. We'll be able to get this launched. Yeah, like four months and $150,000 later, they had maybe done like $5,000 worth of coding. And they were like, well, actually, now it's probably going to be more like 480 k And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? And so then you're like back to me just bootstrapping, right? And you kind of have this setback. So it's always like 
budget more, give yourself a 30% buffer and get yourself a good team. And uh, those two pieces of advice would have helped me a lot over the last couple of years. But from that story that you shared with this workshop and this kind of implementation, it, it wasn't a 30 a 30% increase, if if my math is correct. So no, what you're you, yeah. what 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 you learned from that? Like how do you how do you choose the team or someone to partner with yeah. this? Like what's what you would do differently? You know, now you know my CTO is former Amazon engineer, um, has led multiple dev teams, built dev shops, knows what he's doing. We could have done it for 200 k if I knew what I was doing, right? Going back to finding a good team around you, because while Scrum and Agile is great in theory and great when you're building software, it's not practical as a startup to have eight developers, your whole team on every single call. That's eight billable hours every call for a designer, front end, back end, PM, QA. Why is QA here? We haven't even written any code yet, right? Like okay, this, we should not be racking up this kind of debt. But at the time, when I brought this up to my project manager there at the dev shop, she was like, well, like this allows us to, you know, get ahead of any issues ahead of time so that we know and know how to pivot. And so anyway, I stopped working with them, as you can imagine, went to a lean like development shop out of Uruguay, one front end, one back end, both full stack. They both know what they're doing. Great. Yeah, that was definitely a learning experience. And you're right. When they initially came back and were like, all right, it's going to be 480K. That for me was pretty brutal because I was like, I have to go back to the guy who gave me 200K thinking this thing was going to come to market and just be like, you know what, man, I messed up. And at the end of the day, you've got to be willing to, to take blame and own up to it because there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. Um, and as I found out and talking to people about the sense, it's not uncommon. One person I know, they were like, dude, we spent $6 million before we realized we didn't even have a software. They were at Capgemini. And so, um, so sorry, man, kind of went off on a tangent there, but hopefully that gives some good insight no. to your listeners. No, it's it's really important, I think, and really valuable. And thank you for sharing this. Thank you for being vulnerable because it's it's not it's not uncommon, just like you said. It's, it's left and right. We as founders, we're passionate about building something. And when we see the opportunity, when we see the equation, capital solution, it's just, let's just, let's just plug it in. It just works. Like hope it works. Right. So we, a lot of times we're powered by hope a lot of times in the beginning. So it's, it's really important to, for people to know that it's, it's not uncommon and things happen like this. And it doesn't mean the end of the world. Even when we make the mistakes of such extent, it's, like we still pivot, we still make it work. It's just about learning it, learning it soon enough, and um, and basically getting getting back on track. It's it's right. What what, what kind of book? Uh, what kind of book you order? I'm curious. Is it entrepreneurship? Uh, uh, yeah. So it's called Venture Deals, and it's basically how to be smarter than a VC and even your attorney. So just it really dives in. Uh, deep into understanding term sheets, you know, what it is that's important, especially when you're talking to VCs. I listened to the audio book and there was so much gold. Like, I think I had like 50 bookmarks by the time, you know, it was like a quarter of the way through. And with audio books, you got to go back and listen to it again. So I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get the hard copy here so I can highlight and make sure I've got sort of my little Bible here as I'm going forward and, and getting ready to, to fundraise. Awesome. Speaking of books, by the way, like along your journey, you were probably reading books, maybe listening to some speakers, to some mentors. What, what kind of resources would you recommend to SaaS founders who are working at the pre-seed, 
going into seed stage. As I said, maybe books, maybe speakers. If you were to outline two or three that impacted you the most. Yeah, that's a really good question because I I can go off on this for a minute because like when I first started, even my recruiting company, you know, I, I read so many books on like, hey, here's how you start a company and here's what you do. And the problem with those is the sample size. Like most entrepreneurship books are one person saying, here's what I did and it worked. And it's like, all right, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who have tried that and it didn't work, right? And so a uh, great book, Founder's Dilemma, incredible. So what they do is they actually look at, I think it was like 2,300 different startups throughout all these industries. They examine like key moments in the company's history and trajectory, what some did and it worked, what some did the same thing, but it didn't work and why that didn't work. So you get much more of like a better understanding of, okay, successful pivots, not successful pivots. Um, so really, really highly recommend that one. Lean Startup uh, by Eric Ries, great book. Uh, that's two speakers. Man, I just use like Khan Academy, K-H-A-N. Uh, they have a bunch of talks with entrepreneurs uh, on there. And so... Um, the good news is they're credible ones, just like there's a lot of bad money out there. There's a lot of bad advice too. So um, try to always follow, Isaac Newton said it, but I believe it was originally Bernard of Chartres said that if I've seen further than others, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants, right? And so I think if you can just figure out your ideal mentor, and yes, I know Jason Calacanis will probably never, you know, have time to, to mentor me, but if you can find the person you want to be like, you're doing a great podcast, right? There's so much information out there. Figure out what they're doing. Listen to them, you know, and, and really just kind of study them and what they did. And uh, again, it's not a perfect playbook. Take it with a grain of salt. But I think, you know, listen to people who have been there and done it. Why to make all the mistakes in the books if we can skip just a little? Right? It's, it's, a, exactly. it's not about making all the right decisions. It's just about making bad decisions like less. Just yeah, exactly, man. Exactly right. I <laughs> joke when, when I joined the new chip accelerator program, so they have you mm -hmm. take a test um, that was created by Peter Thiel and I guess some of his cohort that's basically like an entrepreneurship exam for startup CEOs, basically like an aptitude test. How likely are you to be successful as a startup CEO? Uh, I tested in the top 1% of that all time. And I joke that the reason that is, is I might not know what to do, but I can tell you all the times I made the wrong decision. So at least I know what not to do now. So if you just keep failing, but keep moving forward, you're, you're getting closer to success, man. Nice. Nice. I really love it. Michael, if, if I was a listener and I could only take one, the biggest advice, one, the biggest takeaway from this conversation, like what is the biggest point you would like the SaaS founder who's listening to this to, to hear and to take to, to his heart? You know, for me, the most important thing is believing in what you're doing, but don't have your blinders on. You know, I think you and I talked earlier and, you know, amongst job seekers in our testing, we've got a net promoter score of plus 83. You know, the, the feedback's been very, very positive, even the companies we talk to. You will get a couple of naysayers, but I really think it's important to keep the data points, right? And just because you believe in something doesn't always make it right. And not that you're wrong, not that, you know, there's anything negative. It doesn't say anything about you, but believe in yourself, believe in what you're doing, but listen, be coachable, take action, right? Like 
don't take action too quickly. When I first started, every single time someone said, I don't like this about your pitch deck, I changed it. I added a slide. I pitched the next investor and they're like, I don't care about that slide. What you need is this slide. And then you, you know, and so you can be too reactionary. So I believe, you know, just believe in yourself, but, but listen to feedback and really listen to feedback so that you don't feel like you're banging your head against the wall. Although I sometimes feel like that anyway. So fascinating. I resonate with this, with this a lot. Uh, when, it, when it comes to learning a bit more about what you're doing, about your company, getting in touch with you, what would be the best places, the best websites, the best links to, to check out? Uh, yeah, so our website is when.io, W-E-N-N.io. You know, LinkedIn, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. So Michael Wenning, W-E-N-N-I-N-G. My email is just my first name, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at when.io just reach out, you know, I'm really, I'm always happy to help. Like that's what brings me joy is helping people. So even if it's nothing to do with my company, if there's, uh, you know, some bit of advice, or if you got a question, you know, again, I might not have the right answer, but I I probably have the wrong answer in my past experience that I might be able to help you avoid, you know, so I encourage people to always reach out if they feel like I can be of any help to them and definitely reach out if you feel you can be helped me, that would be great. I will be putting all of those links and emails in the description of this episode. So nice. Sass Insiders, if you're looking to connect with Michael, you'll find all the links and contact info in the description. Michael, to, to summarize, to conclude our conversation, what would be the, 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 final, the final conclusion, the, th- the final thought of, of our talk? You know, I'm really, uh, really honored and like humbled that you would want to talk to me. You know, I really like i i just wanted to help people that's what i want to do i think going back to believing in what you're doing you know it's even being named like when i found out we were named the top hr tech startup of 2022 i actually said to the person i'm like you're shitting me like i thought it was a joke i thought someone was playing a joke on me you know and you know so i think you should just nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems um and and i just I appreciate like this is a great experience for me and I, I hope that someone was able to learn something from this that's like 50 final thoughts so i'm sorry man but, but that's that's what i got everything's coming top of mind right now michael wedding everyone thank you for joining us today michael i thank you so much for joining me on the show and sharing your experience sharing the thoughts and vlad thank you again for having me it's been an honor i look forward to to blasting this out to my network and uh you know, let's spread it to the masses, man. So thank you again, man. Sass Insiders, we'll see you in the next episodes.